we uh, turn this evening to the book of Romans, and we're going to be reading a couple of different passages from Romans. Uh, We're going to start by reading from Romans uh, chapter 6. We're going to read the first 14 verses. This evening, we are continuing our series on prayer, our series on the Lord's Prayer specifically, uh, which is uh, guided in large part by the Heidelberg Catechism. And uh, so I would encourage you to have uh, Lord's Day 49, which should be printed in your bulletin, have that at hand as well, as uh, we'll be reading that after we read from the Word of God this evening. But we're going to begin our reading with Romans chapter 6, verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. And then turn over with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 12. We're just going to read... Uh, the first two verses of Romans 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. And then uh, turn over to Lord's Day 49, if you would. We come this evening to the third petition 
of the Lord's Prayer, the third request. And so uh, our catechist asks, what does the third request mean? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven means, help us and all men to reject our own wills and to obey your will without any backtalk. Your will alone is good. Help everyone carry out the work he is called to as willingly and faithfully as the angels in heaven. Dear brothers and sisters, one of the most prevalent New Testament pictures of the church is that of a body. Uh, This is an image that Paul uses, and, and in fact, to say that it's an image is, is actually understating the case. Paul states it simply as a fact. The church is a body. And as familiar as this kind of language is to us, I believe that we often miss the extent to which this uh, illustration, this description applies to us as believers. Imagine for a moment if your body parts were to go on strike. Now, boys and girls, once you learn to walk, most of you don't have to think about putting one foot in front of the other. You just do it. You don't actively think as as you walk through the house to uh, have to walk around the kitchen counter, to walk around the couch. You just do it. You, You do this subconsciously and what you're not even thinking about is that all of your body from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet is engaged in that activity of walking. You don't have to think about it because all of the parts of the body are moving together. They are working together and they're all being regulated, as we know from the study of science, by the brain and by these electronic impulses, this this messaging that the brain is sending through the nervous system to every part of the body. But now, imagine that you wake up one morning and every part of your body has somehow become disconnected from that central system, that central nervous system. It's become disconnected from the brain. And so as you go to get out of bed, something that you do without even thinking about it on a normal day, you fall to the floor. Because one foot goes this way, and one foot goes this way. And by the way, your legs don't want to operate in conjunction with your feet. So your legs want to go this way and this way. And and we we could come up with all sorts of of silly examples of, of what this might look like. But simply put, it would be chaos, wouldn't it? It would be chaos if, if our body parts somehow became disconnected from the central nervous system and became free agents. They did whatever each body part thought was best. Well, the same applies to us as believers. You see, the body, Paul, Paul, as Paul says, we are a body. As Christians, we are all part of Christ's body. And we learn from Scripture that Christ is the head of the body. And the idea 
is that of this well-oiled, well-engineered machine. This, this head, Jesus Christ, indwelling every member of his, like the central nervous system of the body in some sense, and, and every member, every part of the body moving in conjunction with the messaging that is being sent by Christ the head through his spirit. But that's not, that's not actually our experience many times, is it? For uh, we find within ourselves there is a tension. Because we, we find the Word of God, we find the Spirit of Christ saying one thing to us, walk in this way, and we find within ourselves resistance to that. We find within ourselves another will that says, no, I want to go this way. And then we multiply that as we come together as a body. And every member of the body has an opinion. Every member of the body has a will. And, and at times, church life can become chaotic because the members have grown out of sync with Christ the head, and every member is a free agent seeking to do what it wills. And that then illustrates the necessity, the vital importance of this petition that we're talking about tonight. Thy will be done on earth or on earth as it is in heaven. And what we find is that in the third petition, the Lord teaches us to pray for growing conformity to Christ by the rejection of our wills on the one hand and the willing embrace of His perfect will. And we're going to explore this request, Thy will be done, uh, by considering two elements of this prayer that the Catechist brings out to our attention in the light of God's Word. So first of all, we see that this prayer, Thy will be done, is a prayer for the rejection of our own wills. And that's, uh, that's the very language that the Catechist has used, isn't it? He says, help us and all men to reject our own wills. We often think of this in, in terms of, of bringing our will or, or having our will brought into conformity with Christ. But the, the catechist actually uses even stronger language. And he says, this is actually a prayer for the rejection of of our own wills. Well, what, how, do, how are we to understand this? What, what's going on behind us? So let's explore uh, the dynamic here. First of all, we have the reality, according to Ephesians 2, verse 1, that we are dead in our sins apart from Christ. Uh, turn there with me, if you would. Ephesians 2, verse 1. Here we read, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions in sin and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. You see, apart from Christ, not only were we dead in sins and trespasses, as the apostle says, but we were actually under the dominion of a ruler other than Christ. 
the, the, Paul calls him the, uh, the prince of the power of, or the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. You see, this, this, uh, our allegiance before faith in Christ was allegiance to the prince of this world, who is Satan. And it wasn't that we were, so we talk about the bondage of sin, right? We talk about uh, having this, this bond, being bound, our wills being bound in sin apart from Christ. But the worst part of that bondage is that it's not a reluctant bondage. And anybody who, who has experienced being bound in sin can tell you that. It's a willing bondage. Uh, we, we once, apart from Christ, walked according to the spirit of this world. And we did so willingly. We did so with pleasure. Uh, but then secondly, as we read in Romans 6 verse 2, praise the Lord, there is this, uh, this second truth, uh, which is that uh, we are dead that we have died to sin in Christ. Uh, in, in Romans 6, verse 2, he, he says, we died to sin. And then, again, verse 3, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Uh, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. Now think about, think about the imagery. What, think about how radical what he's actually saying is. He's saying that those who are in Christ, that those who are indwelt by the Spirit of Christ, they hang on the cross with Christ. They are laid in the tomb with Christ. That by virtue of our baptism... Uh, particularly our baptism of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, we are actually dead. Our old self is dead, laid in the ground, buried with Christ. So we were dead in sin apart from Christ, but now we are to account ourselves dead to sin in Christ. And, and all of this is, is uh, wrapped around this idea of union with Christ. A big idea, a theological phrase, one that we talk about, but we often don't really think about what we're saying. And, and, and yet Paul says this union with Christ is, is so complete, it is so close, that when we, when we read of Christ's death, when we speak of the truth of Christ's death, we are to account ourselves dead with Christ. When we read of our resurrection, when we think of our resurrection or speak of it, or Christ's resurrection rather, we are to account ourselves as raised from the dead with Christ. Now what, what does that have to do then with this issue of the will? Well, it's simply this. There was no internal conflict before we knew Christ. Uh, sometimes... Uh, people are confused. I wonder if, if some of you here this evening have had this. That you came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And um, 
your experience was such uh, that maybe you did not grow up in the church, maybe the truth of the gospel was not clear to you. So there is a specific period in your life during which you understood the gospel for the first time. You understood your state apart from Christ for the first time. And you understood the message of Christ crucified for sinners for the first time. And when you embraced Christ by faith, oh, how your heart was filled with joy. And, and, and you, you reflect on that time and what a glorious time that was. And it felt like you were suddenly lightened, like we're reading about in Pil- the Pilgrim's Progress. You felt very much like Christian did when that burden dropped off his back at the cross. There was a spring in your step. And... Uh, suddenly you found new strength and there were maybe sins that you had been struggling with and suddenly you didn't experience a struggle with those particular sins anymore. And, and you thought, praise the Lord, hallelujah, I'm free. And then as days followed days and weeks followed weeks, the reality of the plotting of the Christian life set in. Suddenly, those old temptations returned once again. Maybe it even caused you to despair. Maybe you thought, if I was a Christian, I wouldn't be feeling this way. If I was a Christian, I wouldn't be thinking this way. If I was a Christian, I wouldn't have such strong desires to go in this way. If I was a Christian, I wouldn't be looking at this. I wouldn't be doing this over here. But you see... The the, the message of Scripture is not that the struggle ends when we come to know the Lord Jesus Christ by faith, but that the struggle begins there. That whereas up to that point, you had known no struggle in your flesh because you willingly did the deeds of the flesh, you willingly walked as a subject of the prince of this world, Now there's a conflict, there's this principle, and there are these butting heads with inside of you, uh, which is a truth that we find in Galatians chapter 5, if you would turn with me there. We find it also in Romans, although Galatians states it so clearly, so succinctly. uh, Chapter 5, verse 17 of Galatians, For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. Have you felt that? Do you feel that? What, what, what I often call the Romans 7 reality being played out within your life. The good that I would, I do not. The evil that I would not, that I do. Well, you see, that's actually an evidence that the Spirit of God has entered into your heart. The conflict itself is an evidence of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's an, an evidence of union with the Lord Jesus Christ, the indwelling of His Spirit. And so then this is the reality for the Christian in this life. It is a life and death struggle. And we feel that the spirit is, is strong at a particular point, and we feel that the flesh is strong at a particular point, and the two are continually butting heads. Well then, 
this again underlines the need to pray thy will be done. Because what's really going on is there's a conflict between my will, the will of the old man Justin, with the will of the Spirit of Christ. And these two wills are going in opposite directions, and so we need then to pray, thy will be done. And when we're praying, thy will be done, we're praying for the crucifying of the old self with its desires. Uh, We're praying, in in, in a sense, what uh, Romans 12 verse 1 describes, offering ourselves as a living sacrifice. Uh, We are to imagine ourselves, as we walk this Christian walk, nailed to the cross, the the desires of our flesh nailed to the, the cross. And so then also this prayer, thy will be done, is a prayer for a right accounting. Look at uh, Romans 6, verse 11. He says, Paul says, In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Dear child of God, dear brother, sister, is this a daily reality for you? That you wake up in the morning, And you say, I am dead to sin. That body of sin, that man of sin, that woman of sin is in the ground. It is in the tomb. It is dead. And I am risen with Christ. I am risen in Christ. I am united to Christ by His Spirit. I partake of the life-giving blood of Christ through His Spirit. And I am seated in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. This is the kind of accounting that needs to be going on in our lives day by day. And yet, very often, if, if you're like me, you're distracted with many other things. And you get out of bed, you're thinking about 500 different things. And the last thing on your mind is that you are on the battlefield that you are stepping out into contested territory and that you need to reckon yourselves dead to sin but alive unto Christ. That's what we're praying. That's what we're praying when we pray, thy will be done. We're praying, Lord, help, help me to account myself dead. Help me to count the old self and its desires and its will dead. Throw another shovel of dirt on the grave. For I am risen with Christ. I am risen in Christ. So we see then that this is a prayer for the rejection of our own wills. But then secondly, as the catechist says, this is a prayer for understanding and obeying God's good will. Again, looking at Lord's Day 49, he says... This is also a prayer to obey your will without any backtalk. Your will alone is good. And of course, uh, the same truth that undergirded the first point undergirds this point, which is that we are united to Christ as the head of the body. But then secondly, 
we need to understand that Christian maturity is a process of being transformed by the renewing of our minds. Turn over with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 12. Look, look with me a moment at the second half of verse 2. Romans 12, verse 2b. He says, Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Do you see the, the, the implication that Paul is making here? What he's saying is that there is a mental problem that all of us are suffering with. That as smart as we may think we are, that as smart as our neighbors, our friends, our family, our parents may think we are, that our minds have come under the power and influence of sin. That our thinking is affected by sin so much so that our spiritual understanding is darkened. And we have need for the renewing of this mind, uh, particularly, as he says, so that we will be able to test and approve what God's will is. So then as we pray, thy will be done, we are actually praying, first of all, to transform, to, that, that we would be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Simply put, that we would know what the will of God for us is. For we can read of the will of God in the Scriptures, uh, we can, and, and we have the, the, uh, the law held out before us as a, a, a pointer, as a direction before us. We have these different instructions in the various epistles written by Paul and other apostles. But there's a, lack of, there's a fundamental lack of understanding. And we approach those passages so often with such darkness of mind. And, and Paul is saying, we need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We, we are putting off, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, what we've already discussed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. Here he's using a, a, a term uh, that's used of, um, try, or of purifying metal. That, that uh, just as uh, gold ore or silver ore or any precious metal would be uh, placed into the hottest of fires in order to separate between what is good and what is bad, in order to test the quality of whatever metal ore it is, so also the, the, the will of God is a process of testing For for us discovering the will of God, understanding the will of God, it's a process of testing and approving. Growing in our understanding what his good, pleasing, and perfect will is. So then we need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So we are praying, first of all, then to know what Christ's will is for us. But then secondly, and following on that, when we pray, thy will be done, we are praying for willing obedience to Christ's will. 
Again, if you were to flip back to to Romans chapter 6, he says, uh, verse 12, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to Him as instruments of righteousness. We're asking, we're we're, we're praying as we pray, Thy will be done. We're praying to be brought into sync as body parts with Christ our head. We're praying that that connection, that real connection, uh, which is ensured by His Spirit, would grow stronger in our experience. So that more and more, we would reckon ourselves dead to sin, but alive to righteousness in Christ. That more and more we would turn away from, reject our own wills, and that we would embrace His holy will, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. We're praying that 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 neurological connection, so to speak, would be made right so that this arm wouldn't go over here while this arm goes back here, but so that every part, that every individual member of the body would experience the closest union possible with Christ, the, the greatest experience of that union, and so that we as a body would be brought together. That there would no longer be the chaos, the dissension, the unnecessary fighting, the pressing of, of my will versus your will versus your will. But that we would all be united in this humble desire to do what Christ wills. And that that would be evident to all of us that more and more each one of us and we as a body would be dying to ourselves and living unto Christ that we would be seeking to bury the old self and be made alive uh, unto Christ, that we would be offering ourselves as living sacrifices. Here's the thing, guys. No sooner do we get on that altar than we hop right back off. Isn't that true? Think about Isaac. I, I, I often find... Uh, that, that incident with Abraham and Isaac, so interesting, uh, because there's something that we often miss there, which is that Isaac was a teenage boy, 16 years old. Abraham was an old man, 116 years old by my reckoning. Can we suppose for a minute that Abraham was strong enough to, uh, to make Isaac lay on that altar? He didn't understand what was going on there, just as Abraham didn't understand what was going on there. But he was there willingly. And that's, that, that then becomes an image for us to embrace as we seek to offer ourselves as living sacrifices to the Lord our God. As we seek to, to see our will left to the side and to embrace Christ's will for, for us is to be on that altar to remain on that altar. And then that, that there would be this ultimate closeness 
between the will of Christ and our obedience. Uh, It's so wonderful the way in which the catechist captures our, our nature, isn't it? He says, and to obey your will without any backtalk. Young people, do you backtalk, mom and dad? I bet you do. We have a backtalker in our house. But in and, and, and all of us, it's, it's deeply ingrained in us, isn't it? We're backtalkers. We grumble about the will of God. We're resistant to the will of God because we, cling, we, we, we stubbornly cling to the idea that our will is actually better than is Christ's will. That our will for our lives is better than the Lord's will for our lives. And so then we're called by the Lord Jesus himself again this evening to learn to pray, thy will be done. Not with reluctance, not, not dragging our feet, but to, to lay ourselves down, to lay our wills down before Christ in this prayer. To ask Him to finally and fully bury that will of the flesh. To make us attendant to His will so much so that our obedience again would be, uh, as the catechist says, uh, as willing and as faithful as that of the angels in heaven. Let's just step up heavenward in the last couple of moments here. Imagine what the, the order of things is in heaven. Can you imagine one of the angels ministering spirits sent on a, given a commission by God himself and the, the angel begins to stand there and argue and to say, I really don't believe that this is the best thing. If I'm going to guess that you can't even fathom that idea. And nor can I. Because in heaven, the will of God is done perfectly. Because in heaven, the will of God is done willingly. As soon as God speaks, there goes His messenger. As soon as God speaks, there goes these ministering spirits to do the various things that He's called them to do. You see, that's... That's ultimately what we're aiming for, isn't it? We're ultimately aiming that our own wills would be so uh, subjected to Christ that we would rejoice when He calls our name, that we would rejoice when He sends us to do this or to do that, that we would rejoice to offer ourselves up as living sacrifices and to serve Him in whatever way He would call us. You see, The Lord, in this prayer, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, is a prayer for conformity to Christ that consists of rejecting our own wills and embracing his perfect will for our lives. May the Lord enable us by his spirit to pray this prayer. Not just here and there, but multiple times daily, if that's, what, if that's what's needed. To day by day, wake in the morning, reckoning ourselves dead to sin, reckoning ourselves dead to our own will of the flesh, reckoning ourselves alive in Christ and ready to do His bidding.
Let's pray. Oh Lord, our God, we come to you this evening and we thank you so much for your word. Lord, what would we do without your word? We thank you, Lord, that we have uh, your gospel message here. We thank you for the glorious truth of, of all that you have done and the way in which you are reconciling all things to yourself in Christ Jesus. And we pray, Lord, that your will would be done in us on earth as it is in heaven, in us as individuals, among us as a body. Lord, we ask that you would crush that, that grumbling and that resistant spirit within us gently, taking all of that away, Lord, and making us willing, willing to serve you, filled with love, filled with joy in all that you have done for us. Lord, may your will be done. We pray, apply this word then to our hearts, for we ask it, in your mighty, precious name, amen.